Welcome guys to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and I'm very, very excited to introduce today's guest. Um, a lot of you may know Dr. Joe uh, because, I mean, I first heard about Dr. Joe from, I think, Lane Norton, 3DMJ, and I think a lot of the people that follow this podcast know those guys, and they may have heard of Dr. Joe but they don't really know Dr. Joe. And we have him on the podcast today and he's really, really well known for his peaking methods. And I know as physique competitors, as bodybuilders, peak week is a very exciting week. Um, and whether it's even a week, so it might even be a longer period of time, we'll have to talk to Joe and see kind of, he's got a hell of a lot of experience with this, with athletes, uh, and also is very well educated about this whole process. But to first of all, give a bit of background um, to Joe, he has earned degrees in physical therapy, health nutrition and health education and literally journalism. Um, he's a certified strength and conditioning specialist and has been weight training since the age of 13 and competed in his first contest at the age of 20. So really young. Um, and by the age of 27, he won his pro card in the WNBF, um, which is awesome and I've looked at, I mean, people might have seen pictures of Joe. I've certainly searched pictures of Joe and there'd be one on the podcast tile here. And I mean, amazing, amazing bodybuilder in terrific shape. Uh, and as a career, Joe specializes in intensive nutritional consulting and contest prep, uh, which is what we're going to be talking a lot about and began licensing the diet doc business model in 2007. Um, helping hundreds across the world, which is amazing. Um, and I think a lot of us will have read work by Dr. Joe. Uh, if we've kind of searched on Google, Peak Week is kind of huge amount of articles about that and on bodybuilding.com and there's kind of journals and published authored things across the internet. So um, yeah, just a small amount of background for you, but essentially someone who is incredibly smart, has a lot of experience uh, and yeah, I really want to kind of delve into that. And uh, is there anything else you want to add, Joe? No, I appreciate that, Steve, very much. I'm excited to chat with you. Oh, awesome. Um, and I know uh, kind of we were already talking about the fact I'm and people who follow the podcast probably know about the fact I've been doing my own contest prep at the moment and I'm in my depletion period of my peak week phase. And I think, first of all, it would be useful for the audience to hear, especially your definition of what you see a peak week as. So if you don't mind just starting with, what do you see peak week as for a bodybuilder? Perfect. And uh, I do appreciate that introduction. You were probably a little bit too flattering about my own personal bodybuilding career. Uh, pretty pretty constrained by mediocre genetics, but I had fun competing and moving up the ranks as a WBF pro. Uh, more than any type of success I did or did not gain there, it was the best field bed for my own experience. Uh, you, can, you can work with hundreds or thousands of competitors but until you're feeling that in yourself and what things are like and seeing those changes, uh, not just contest to contest, but even year to year, almost decade to decade, you really gain a lot better appreciation for the science you think you're learning and teaching other people, how it's truly affecting a human body. You, you never feel it quite as intensely as in your own, your own skin. So uh, that was a, a huge part of my career in learning and applying it in, in the peaking process. But the way I started, Steve, uh, much like yourself, I was 
about 19 or 20, as you mentioned, when I was getting ready for my first contest. And because just following the magazines back then, of course, the internet didn't even exist. So resources and information were harder to come by. We all just followed magazine to magazine. And now, of course, we know that a lot of those articles weren't even written by competitors. They were ghost written. So you really had a small amount of journalists, so to speak, writing these methods. And they were they were just very small derivatives of what people had been doing from the 50s and 60s and 70s. So uh, my uh, inquisitive mind just started interviewing people. Uh, I would compete against people who looked tremendous. Mm-hmm. I even started promoting shows in a small organization. And so I was just insatiably asking people, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And of course, I found the commonality of the typical, you know, deplete then then load when it comes to cars and load water and then deplete and you know doing the sodium reversal and all of that and at this time i was already pretty deep into school and as i was learning about cellular physiology and so forth i just realized it did not make sense you know there was a reason why most of us always look better the days before a contest and the day after and i just started experimenting with the process and luckily, in the late 90s, uh, because of my entrance into the WNBF, I was given a platform to write. And again, all these things just didn't exist. You had the, the mainstream magazines, and that was all of the information that was there. So in the late 90s, I started writing about different dieting methods and peaking methods. And as with any new field, uh, one of the first things you have to do is create definitions, right? So when you when you ask a question like, we don't even know what peak week is, what did that erupt? And I just had to, in literary form, explain to readers, you know, here's what I'm talking about. So you're almost creating this glossary and, and these you know, table of contents for learning. And so a lot of these early, you know, parts of nomenclature for the sport just arose out of those articles. But as you said, I, I definitely did use the peak week structure based on kind of that three or four days where people deplete and then three or four days of loading. So I looked at ways to make some changes within that structure. And in my 20 years or so of coaching clients and competitors, I've definitely made changes in even how I would approach it. Amazing. And before before we went on air, uh, you even mentioned doing things a little bit differently that I might agree with. And I think certainly there are a lot of tools at our disposal and we can use them differently. I, I, I might have 10 or 20 or even 30 clients competing in the same weekend. And I might have that many different varieties of, of ways I'm peaking them. So a lot of things we could definitely talk about today. No, that's amazing. I love that you brought up the, the fact that you have, I think a lot of people talk about bodybuilding and contest prep and you hear how hard it is you hear about peak week and i think it's not until you've done it do you really realize kind of what it really means it's not until you've really depleted or you really carb loaded what that feels like you hear it on paper like oh yeah the human body can take so many grams um, of carbohydrate and it can load that as glycogen and you'll look fuller but until you do that until you actually have to eat that much as well and the feeling and the fatigue from the digestion and the bloating that can potentially happen all of these little things you don't think about come to the floor and then every single person feels them slightly differently um so that's amazing and i think really important that you brought that up um and to talk about 
kind of the, the peak week in itself to define it would you consider that to be a single week before your kind of contest um and it's a small manipulation for people who are in contest ready shape already and it's just like maybe a one percent that you can just slightly look a bit better was that what you'd consider peaking well, I certainly look at the entire dieting process on a macro scale. So if somebody has, for example, 20 or 25 pounds, they want to lose or 10, I might be thinking, okay, do we need four months, five months, six months? And I divide that up into phases yeah. and in sort of a reverse engineering style. So I know, of course, how I want them to look on the stage. And peak week, of course, is that final way of coasting in and making sure we're going to be able to reproduce and very predictably hit that peak and maintain it all day or, or two different spots or even two different days for some, some events. But flowing into that final peak week, I, I, I look at almost a month. So I want them to be doing what I phrased metabolic building. I don't want to be dieting down, still losing weight, losing weight, losing weight. I want them to be at roughly the body composition they're going to end up on stage a month prior so that we can slowly be increasing carbohydrates, making insulin and carbohydrate resistance a non-factor. If your body's used to digesting and assimilating more carbs, you're going to be able to, to assimilate that without the, the risk of as much spillover. You certainly have a way of increasing thermogenesis the day of the show. So uh, in between meals, you're not seeing a lot of significant fluctuation in how you look. Um, there's just a lot of advantages to going through that entire last month building up toward the show instead of still being down in just a you know, kamikaze nosedive toward that stage. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, a lot of people have, I, I don't know if this is the right term for it, but you've obviously termed it kind of metabolic building. This is kind of something people have heard about reverse dieting people have kind of heard of. And I think it has some similar, similar similarities. I think I said mm -hmm. that word right uh, with that process in which you are kind of tapering off the calorie deficit and building up carbohydrates and things like this. Uh, I think that for me as well as the ideal positions for competitors to be in, do you often find they aren't in that position or is it because you have reverse engineered it, you almost always get your clients to be able to be in that position? That's a great question. Certainly uh, people who are more challenged in terms of fat loss and maintaining that, somebody with a, a lower metabolic rate, uh, we, the, the metabolic building process may not be that significant. Some people like could be doubling their carbs over the course of a month. Other people, they just might be more stable, increasing slightly. So instead of more of a building, we're easing into maintenance. But absolutely, to your point, somebody you know on one end of the metabolic continuum might truly need to stay a little bit more toward that depleted end of the scale than somebody else who is increasing. Uh, I have a gentleman right now getting ready for a contest who I helped get ready for a stateside photo shoot uh, from Australia. And you know he, he might have been dieting anywhere from 200, 300 grams of carbs. And toward the end, you know he was up to 500 plus. So almost a doubling in, in a substantial amount of carbs. Other people, I have some some IFBB and, and pros and NBC competitors who, um, again, just do their metabolic idiosyncrasies. They just do better staying very, very flat leading in, but at least that's still a stable place to be. We're still not losing. Yeah. Their body fat goals are met. We're just now coasting in. We can manipulate and fine tune in a very small way, as you said.
Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people do view and a lot of competitors do just see it as a nosedive all the way in. Whereas if you can have that period of which, okay, now you're at the leanness, you're pretty much where you need to be on for stage. Um, Obviously, you're probably when you are dieting down, you're holding on to this kind of like dietary edema kind of from the stress and things like that and i'm sure as you bring up carbs that kind of goes as well so you almost look better just from doing that um, and mm-hmm. you get a much more predictable kind of process how if you just were to take someone give an example of that month how would that look kind of are you changing things week on week are you looking at scale weight mm-hmm. um or are you using a combination of scale weight and kind of visual um yeah what, how, if you were to take us through that kind of metabolic building phase yeah, I love talking about this because I think it really displays science in action in the fact that a lot of these things, at least to me, maybe other people had gone through this process, but there certainly wasn't a lot written. Uh, this was all very pioneering. So over the course of 15 to 20 years ago, moving forward, this was all just discovering small changes in clients. And one of the very first, when, I, when that, that concept of, of having a building phase toward the end really cemented in my brain when I was working with a client who was a also a WNBA pro and she was a lightweight and we actually had a difficult time even winning her pro card because she was very small framed. She could get lean. She was an ectomorph, but we, we did achieve the pro card status and then she was getting ready for her first pro show and it was going to be in the spring. And so we were dieting with that in mind. Circumstances, one show got canceled. She had a a personal issue, couldn't do another show. So all of a sudden, from starting a diet at the beginning of the year, her very first show is going to be the World Championships in November. So I had to slow her down at certain phases, and we still got to about a month out. And she was just as disgustingly lean as you could imagine. I mean, strided glutes, cross striations in her lower lats, feather striations across her chest. But as an ectomorph, of course, we risked bringing her in too thin. Yeah. So out of, out of necessity, the mother of all invention, we had to start increasing calories, increasing food. So to my surprise, as I kept increasing carbs and maybe even fat a little bit, kind of stair-stepping that up, we ended up, over the course of a month, doubling her carbs. Uh, her weight rebounded, of course, because now we had new and, and fuller glycogen stored levels. Um, she had gained about seven pounds back, but her, her caliper measurements were down about 50%. So she kept getting leaner, kept getting leaner, and yet she was getting fuller and bigger. And on the stage, as a 105, 106-pound lightweight, she looked bigger than the heavyweights. Wow. So not only, not only did she win her class, she won the overall. And as somebody who barely got a pro card, and it was, it was not because she was leaner than ever. That was her ace. She was good at getting lean as an ectobar. It was simply that we had taken the time or we just found that advantage by happenstance to really escalate her food intake up incrementally. You know, I, I definitely don't like a massive front or backloading attempt that really throws you into a homeostatic crisis uh, where your body has to swing from one end to the other rapidly. It was a very incremental process over a month, what, which I think is very important in describing this process. Yeah, I mean, actually taking a step back to me, that sounds like almost like the, the months dieting before this metabolic building phase 
is the depletion and then this month is almost the loading phase so you are almost kind of just protracting these two periods of time um to allow everything to be much more predictable in a sense exactly that's perfectly stated i mean I, I, it sounds great and i guess i guess the real key to all of that and as you stated is that reverse engineering is that planning uh, because otherwise what can you do and i guess if in this metabolic building phase they did maybe spill over a little bit or they were a little bit kind of looking a bit softer than you would like you can always introduce a bit of a dieting period beforehand kind of get rid of that is that something that you've used as well definitely because uh, we do see want to find that ceiling performance and as you're increasing food intake gradually you're also creating an upward spiral metabolic you know these people are now able to increase how much food they can eat because uh, their metabolism is is escalating back to a normal off-season level so you, you do find yourself able to mitigate any risk tremendously. Uh, and that's why I said even on hot test day, uh, you just handle and assimilate carbohydrates so much more like an ectomorph. So, so let's say that somebody like myself, who's always more of an endomorph, um, you know, if, if I spilled over moderately, it might take me a day to remedy that, and I might have blown the entire show. So I had to risk flatness to a much greater degree. I had to err on the side of yeah. caution. Um, by being in that off-season level metabolically, but still at a contest body composition level, I've now closed that margin. I'm now able to be a little bit riskier and, and find those higher levels of carb threshold without spilling over. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Um, and I guess... I always describe this process of kind of the glycogen and the, the in the muscles of kind of you have a bucket essentially and you're kind of you're depleted like it, the bucket's empty when you're dieting and you're gradually filling it up over the loading process so you're trying to get it full but not then spilling over um, and it sounds like yeah that's something if you do it over the course of that metabolic building phase, which is a month rather than doing it in, I mean, some people try and rapidly fill the bucket. So there's things like the mm -hmm. rapid backload, which you might've heard from Cliff Wilson, which has become mm -hmm. really popular. And um, I think he'd agree saying it is a more risky strategy, although I'm sure he thinks he's kind of nailed that process down. I'm sure he has. Um, and then you do have the front loading strategies, which again, these are going to be a bit safer because you can have a high intake and then, kind of drip feed it down or potentially bring it back up if you mm -hmm. need to um but with your approach you almost have the the metabolic building phase is your peak week or actually have i got that wrong and you what do you do in your peak week um does that change yeah it's uh you, you can use both of those strategies and do them well but as you said my my approach would be a backload but certainly not rapidly Okay. Uh, it, I mitigate. I mitigate all risk by taking the gradual approach, almost through an entire month. But even during peak week, Steve, I've, I've done everything you could possibly do. I've done front load, back loading. I've done kind of a front load with a deplete and then a back load as well. Just trying to find that way of you know being full at the beginning of the week. Then you're going through some training. You're gonna you're gonna take the edge off to make sure that bucket, as you stated, is not spilling over. But then you also want to titrate back up a little bit to make sure you're full enough. So uh, that in itself, you know, is a is a small window of what I might do in that month now. And the riskiness in that is again, you're you're dealing with homeostasis. 
So you have to make sure that you're nailing that because you're creating two waves or two directions of your body in the same week. Whereas I have found over time, it's certainly not as thrilling to say, you know, we're going to start at this level and then we're just going to gradually build. There's not going to be all of this scientific hoopla. We're not doing, you know, these weird things back and forth that are very extreme. Sometimes that makes it more fun for a client because they think there's a lot of very specific things that we're controlling. And instead, we're just creating that, that very careful but, but absolute maximum fullness of glycogen without compromising the conditioning at all. So mm-hmm. I, I would say what I do now is, is like cliff, but without the risk. Right. Um, I, I do understand, though, for some people, especially in ectomorph, you know, more might be better. I might be increasing to much, much, much higher levels than anticipated by the end of the week. Uh, as in your case, uh, I think that works well for a lot of endomorphs or endomescents, where you're starting, you're kind of finding that full spot early, mm-hmm. and then you just come down and you're, you're meeting that place. And then during contest day or even the, the day before, you can decide whether you need to stay on that path or increase just a little bit. You certainly can use water and sodium. I mean, those are the biggest factors to me on contest day. You know, it's not increasing decreasing carbs that much mm-hmm. because it takes 24 to 48 hours to assimilate carbs anyway. So your biggest tools on contest day are going to be water and minerals. Mm-hmm. So how you're setting up that glycogen base early in the week, midweek, and even toward the end really depends on where you're coming from and your body type. But as I said, I, I think I think every approach has some merits. Mm-hmm. That just depends on how you're applying it. Yeah. And no, that sounds really interesting. And if actually if we can potentially delve into a bit of the water and sodium um and maybe some different maybe actually what would be really good is to talk about the different approaches you found. Um, and what you found to be kind of lessons learned from each of those and then why you then came to the approach you have come to eventually. That would be really, really good for the listeners, I think. Okay. I would say my biggest frustration just through decades of coaching clients and as somebody who was able to take a lot of inconsistency off the playing field, make it much more predictable, it was, it was always very painful to have a client still not nailed. If, if I could say, you know, half of our clients nailed it to within 5%. They were their physical best between 95 and 100%. Uh, you know, maybe another 30 or 40% were in that 90% where, man, I, I might have been able to look a little bit better, but I certainly look great. You know, there's always still a small percentage of people that no matter how hard you've tried, something just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think all of us can look at, at external factors like stress and cortisol, sleep, uh, even temperature of the stings. I've been shows that are running six hours behind and they've got competitors literally standing on cement, you know, for hours waiting to go on stage wow. without being able to eat, drink, warm up. You know, so, so there are all those factors that you just, as a coach, you can't control. Yeah. But I always knew in the back of my mind, there are still things that I could do better for a small percent of people. And Steve, it really came down to those tough people to peak anyone, like the end of and the people who are just always going to be a little bit more difficult trying to find that perfect balance of conditioning and crispness and fullness. So I was uh, 
that, that was that was my MO. I was always looking for that hardest to keep clients. How can we improve that? And it really took, as I mentioned, taking out all of that risk. Mm-hmm. So we're we're coming in from a you know you could call it depleted state, but they release their their conditioning. Yeah. There's leaners are going to be, and so just because of that dieting status, there there's the feeders you're going to be nutritionally as well as physically. So being able to come up slowly, 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 we're we're creating that that upward spiral of metabolism and anabolism combined. So it just took away a lot of that roots. Yeah. Uh, so you could say, you know, if that's the metabolic continuum way to the right, these are the people who are extreme endomorphs, does the exact same thing work on a continuum to ectomorphs, where we're doing the same thing and just increasing? And I would say absolutely. Yeah. So taking that more blue chip approach of just having, you know, there's no way, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, Warren Buffett, who's you know always been the wealthiest man in the world now, he's been in the top five because of a couple of the tech guys. Um, as an investor, he's been asked, "Tell me the greatest thing, the one key to gaining wealth." And he said, "That's easy. Don't lose money." So it's not about how much you can gain; it's about not losing what you have. Mm-hmm. So if we can get you to that absolute peak without any risk, and we can be building our way up to it. That is the absolute most conservative blue chip way. I can tell you we're not going to fail. There's going to be no catastrophe whatsoever. And you're going to be 95 to 100% your best. Yeah. So for the person who says, well, that's okay, but I want to roll the dice and I want to be at 100%. I don't care if the ship goes down in flames. I'm either going to crash and burn or I'm going to do a, just reach 100%, 110%. Those are the people who's, who will try a rapid backload or they'll still try to deplete water and then try and reintroduce it you know, in a rapid fashion. They'll do all of these things that go against everything we know about physiology and homeostasis. And, and they're doing exactly what I said. They're just rolling the dice. And it might work. Mm-hmm. You know, one, out of t- one out of 10 times, they might nail it. And that might be the best peak, the most you know, unreproducible because they truly did hit. 110, 115, 120%, something they could never reproduce in another 10 tries. But if they nail it one time, they're going to be chasing that unicorn the rest of their lives. And coaches do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Coaches say, well, well, I had that one guy or that one client who did it. So now I'm going to try this every time with every client. And you may never hear about the, the 50 out of 100 who fail miserably, but you'll always hear about that one person who succeeded very, very well and, and gave them their name as a coach. Yeah, no, I I can see that completely because um, even like we're talking off air and the listeners may well know a little bit about the approach I'm taking right now. Um, And I know it's not a conservative approach. I know it is one of those riskier ways of doing it. I've tried to, and me with the person I'm consulting with, Broderick, we've tried to make it less risky by protracting things. So like the depletion is a tapered depletion for a week and then the carb load is a back load and then tapered down. So it's it's basically protracting the depletion and the, the repletion. But again, it's not as risk-free as the approach you would be taking. And as a competitor, and as we already spoke about, like you said, it's a 1% difference. So I know the risk I'm taking in that 
yeah, I might come in slightly better, but it will only be very, very slight. So is it worth the, the hassle, the effort? And as a coach, it's something I'm going through as an experiment to see, um, because mm -hmm. I think if I hadn't done it and I, I, I would never want to give it to a client and um, it's good because the majority of my athletes, we, I take a very conservative approach like yourself. Um, and the ideal position is to be in that kind of eating into the show um, where you are seeing kind of getting to that full state. And I think something you kind of touched upon with the kind of the 105% or the 110% is and something I'm trying to achieve with what I am doing right now is by depleting so heavily is to be able to be in such a position where I can super compensate with carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. I know you've written about that before and how it's, it's something very difficult and almost you might argue unachievable to, um, to get, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that kind of the super compensation mechanism and kind of your experience mm -hmm. with that with clients? Sure. Uh, you know, first of all, to touch on your, process coming to the show. Everything that you describe that you're planning to do is exactly what I did with clients for 10 to 15 years. You know, that was probably the, the beginning and middle parts of my career as a consultant doing that where, where we would be depleting or, or have a little bit of a front load and then, then depleting from there and then having that increase. And as I mentioned, because glycogen takes 24 to 48 hours to fully assimilate, you really do want to start your heaviest carb day probably on a Thursday. And then that way you can, you, you, any spillover, you've got 48 hours to contend with and remedy. So then you can taper off a little bit Friday. Um, I think, again, the, the risk is lessened if you have a pretty fast metabolism and you're already extremely lean. Yeah. Because you do, you do have that big carb load on Thursday to, to assimilate and work through. If you know your body can do that, it's less risky. If you're as extremely as lean as you can already be, like you said, you're mitigating that even more. So I don't find what you're doing too risky. You just have to be careful of the levels. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, even that always changes. Contest to contest, you, the exact same person, exact same physiology, you're going to find your body responds a little bit different every time yeah. because of circumstance. So uh, as far as how that happens with that super compensation you're trying to achieve, the original studies on this, of course, were with runners, marathon runners, and if they're going to be in this extreme endurance um, event, how do we how do we gain as much glycogen as possible, you know, in their body? And the the thing with a a competitor that you have to worry about is that super compensation does come with spillover. So if you're gonna if you're gonna reach that maximum threshold, you can't help but spill over. So you have to have a couple of days, uh, and then. You have to make sure that your body's going to be able to handle that. I'll give you an extreme case of spillover that I was able to experience myself. Um, I decided at one point, it was very early in my professional career, I was completely depleted. I had been doing too much cardio, dieting too hard because I was extremely nervous. Going to be standing up on stage with the best bodybuilders in the world, people like you know Rob Pope and so forth, mm -hmm. Nigel Davis, uh, some of your countrymen. And I, I just, you know, I was scared to death. So I was willing to roll the dice. I've got to do something to be better than I've ever been before. And so the weekend before the show, seven days and six days out, I ate, it wasn't even extreme for my body coming off of maybe 50 or 100 grams of carbs a day. It was, I ate 500 grams of carbs a day, yep. two days in a row. And over the course of those two days, I gained 16 pounds 
Wow. Uh, so, so, so that shows, number one, I definitely converted some of that extra food to body fat, but more than anything, of course, it was just glycogen and water, like the sponge, which is what you want. Yeah. That is the definition of super compensated. Yeah. I was, I was a super compensated marshmallow. Um, but now I had five days to, you know, work through that process. And so I had to start titrating down my carbohydrates. And because mm -hmm. I had such an extreme response, I had to go almost extreme again. I had to go back almost to depleting. So by the time I got to the contest, I, here, here's the danger. I had now, you know, been dealing with this over spillage. And so I had peaked or, or I should say I had super compensated so early that now I was in a flattening dieting phase of the show. So now I was still a little soft from all the extra carbs and I was extremely flat from dieting. So I got the worst of both worlds. And so if you do this as a, is a, an extreme front load or closer to the show as a back load, you just have to make sure that you don't go too far or you're not going to be able to, to get where you want to go. You're going to end up as I did first of both. So here, here's the one thing to answer your question about super compensation. Um, first of all, we're still using energy all day long. So you're using carbohydrates as energy. You're using calories in general as energy. So once you have super compensated, and the early studies showed that a muscle cell might be able to pull in about 30% more glycogen than normal. Yeah. I have not seen studies that have ever reproduced that since. It, it might be... In an anomaly, I'd, I'd love to see, especially with competitors, strength and physique competitors, I'd love to see those studies with muscle biopsies. But once you have super compensated, as I mentioned, you still need a couple of days to fully assimilate to make sure that you're going to mitigate any, any spilling over. So you're still using those carbohydrates. So how do you know by the time you get to the stage that you're still full. How do you know that you still have that 20 or 30% super compensation? My contention is you don't. My contention right. is you can't because at best you've gone down to maintenance levels of calories. Homeostasis dictates that the first level of energy use anyway is going to be the most immediate, which is in your bloodstream and glycogen. You're going to use glycogen quicker than you're going to use body fat. And so I think you've almost caused yourself to peak a little bit early because yeah. you've gone into that super compensation. Now you're coming down. I would rather just tilt that slightly. So I might start coming up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but I'm doing it in a steadier fashion so that I can measure that response daily. When my clients are sending me their weights in their photos every single day of peak weight, I'm looking at visual and metabolic cues to what their body's doing with that food. And, and again, I can safely reach the absolute top ceiling of, of muscle glycogen stores without contending with the, that one or two way, you know, crashing homeostatic rebounds. I just, mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about that. No, that's really interesting, especially hearing about your own experience and then describing the process through that because, yeah, with it was my first time ever doing it. I did one, um, I was three weeks ago, I think, was a similar process. I depleted. Um, I came down from 167 pounds on average to uh, low 160s. So I 
kind of got rid of seven pounds of probably some fat there as well because my fat and protein were well my calorie intake was got down very low as it was a really hard week uh let's just say that um and then i did super compensate but not until um kind of i think it was the, the thursday before the show or the friday and i got up to only 168 169 pounds so it was about um back up to my original average and about half over was what we were kind of looking to gauge for. But like you said, um, everyone's different. People are going to experience mm -hmm. this differently. And we were taking what well, I was taking um, images in the morning, trying to assess kind of what's that muscle looking like. And these are, and identifying actually, and this is something I wanted to move on to was identifying on a physique, whether it's full, whether it's flat, whether it's spilled, I think, as a relatively new coach, it's something I'm learning and getting to grips with as I do it with myself and I do it with my clients. Um, but I do think it really takes quite an experienced eye because I'll even, I know I've done it on Instagram, posted images of a what I consider quite an obvious kind of flat and then filled out physique. And people are like, they look the same to me. And um, one looks, uh, to yeah. me, it's like completely different, but to other people, yeah. they can't see it. So... I, I don't know if you want to speak to that or what you're looking for in a physique when you are taking those photos. Right. Well, again, I'd, I'd love to do that in terms of your experience because what you just described was fantastic. You know, you're going from about 167, 168, depleting down to 161 or so, coming back up to 67, 68, you essentially ended up in almost the same place. Yes. Um, but... I, I would argue that there was a point in time, like if, if you took that more conservative approach where we're just building, 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 and we still ended at the same place, and you compare that look to your depletion and rapid super compensation, I think you would see that there was a point in time where you could say, my way, your, your way, Steve, of, of depletion and super compensation look at this picture. I clearly was fuller. I was more vascular. I was tight. It was yes. amazing. But can you predict that when you need it most on stage, you're going to look that way. And then in the evening or the next day or whenever the finals are, you're going to look that way again. Mm -hmm. And with the approach I'm describing, you can, you can maintain it. You can hold it. You can have little micro cycles between meals or through the day and reproduce it perfectly. You've got an all or one prep shoot. And, and I agree that I think you're going to find some spaces there where you can say, I clearly, this was it. I nailed it. I look my best, but you got the predictability concern. Um, I'm going to give you a, another example of a small way of handling that. Uh, you might be familiar with Sean Clarita. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he just competed in the lightweight Mr. Olympia. Uh, he was a client of mine for a few years. I helped him win uh, a WMBF world championship. Wow. And then when he decided to go into the, the IFBB um, hunt, uh, I helped him get ready for NPC Nationals. And we both knew that his best uh, path was going to be in the bantamweight class, and he was really close. Uh, he's got a, a pretty slow metabolism, actually. That's one of the reasons why he can pack so much muscle on his physique, even, even on a small frame. But leading up to the NPC Nationals, I believe they were in Atlanta that year, uh, we had to make that class. We had seven or eight pounds. We had to get off of him just for the weigh-in. Right. So ag against my normal practices, uh, we not only withheld water for at least a day. I think we started moving water down, you know, two days prior, and then 
virtually no water for about 12 hours before he weighed in. Uh, he, he fasted for 24 hours. He ate zero food for a full 24 hours. So we had to completely deplete him. So not only was he already depleted, as you described, as in a full week, he's dieting hard, yeah. he's grinding out cardio. He's already fully depleted. Now we have to fast him and dehydrate him at the end of that. But we made the weight class, mm -hmm. and then we had 24 hours. And again, somebody with a very slow metabolism, if I just opened the floodgates and said, hey, let's go to, let's go eat 12 pancakes, let's do this, he would have spilled over irreparably. Yeah. So we had to do a micro cycle of carb loading, you know, reintroducing water, bringing in those carbs slowly, letting his body assimilate, assimilate, assimilate. So with a slow metabolism, by the time he got to the stage, he looked like a tank. Wow. So exactly what you described in your own practice experience, we did with him in a very condensed way, but it was still extremely controlled. It was a rapid backload. It was a very, very controlled backload to the point where we could observe it, quantify it, and fine tune all the way up to those last minutes before the stage. And, you know, it worked. It worked for him. It worked for him in that circumstance, that time. And now, you know, a much more different approach could be his best bet because he doesn't have a weight class to deal with, et cetera. Yeah. So that, that's just a great example of how different approaches might be the right tool for the exact same person at a different time. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I think no, that was an amazing example. It's really good to hear actually about I mean, we've already spoke about individual differences and all the different approaches that there are out there. But I think at least for me, when I'm listening to you talk about it and for what I'm, from what I know about peaking is that whatever approach you take, it doesn't want to be something reckless or wild or very different. And if you are taking maybe an aggressive load, then protract it over more time. There's always got to be something that is less kind of just radical it needs to be something very controlled monitored and adjusted and if you know what you're doing and you very much do and you can control these variables you can almost manipulate things in your favor um when you see people who are and this happens all the time and you've talked about it they kind of peak the next day after their show or maybe the, it doesn't happen so often where people will peak too early i think well, I, I, maybe it does actually people peak too early, but a lot of people kind of peak the day after their show. What do you think is the cause of that? Do you think it's because maybe they, they it was that big meal the night before that they ended up kind of getting lots of carbs and sodium and they hadn't done that before? Or do you think it's mm. maybe something like just a lot of stress relief? Um, they've slept better that night. Maybe they had like a alcoholic beverage and um, they just de-stressed completely and the body just then it looks very favorable when you're very de-stressed. Yeah, there's there's never one thing, I don't think, uh, but there is a primary thing. Uh, one of the things I love to talk about is how us as human beings love to see things in binaries. It's yes. black or it's white, it's up or it's down. You have all these variables, a lot of things are happening. And I think for that person, it's probably sodium and water, which, which we're gonna still talk about um, first. But it also just might be the timing of the carbs, and, and I'll talk about some of those changes. And it's also the fact that the day of the show is very uh, demanding physically. You're, you're pumping up, you're warming up, you're posing on stage, you're sweating, 
you're basically going through maybe two or three hours of, you know, training, uh, you, you know how sore you are the day after a contest because of all of the posing. So I, I think in a lot of ways, first of all, we've created a great environment where we, we, we need carbs, water, and sodium because we've trained, so to speak, extremely hard. And now everything is going in that direction. Our muscle tissue is absorbing glycogen. If our muscle tissue is absorbing glycogen, it's also absorbing water. And so you have everything moving inward into muscle cells. So you're going to be fuller. Uh, you probably have eaten a little bit more food that night. So now you've got some extra fats, some extra carbs. So vascularity is high. You know, blood pressure is high, blood volume is high while things are moving in. So basically, we've created this perfect storm of peaking the day after the show. So that's exactly why uh, I, I don't remove sodium. Uh, matter of fact, I keep it very stable during peak week. Yeah. And then if anything, I'm going to increase it at strategic times yeah. on contest day. Um, we have to have that whole glycogen base. Like I said, you, you can't be flat on contest day and then expect that dumping more carbs in is going to help. The, the carbs you consume on contest day have probably the, the least amount to do with your look. Amazing. Uh, it's you're, what, what carb-based glycogen base you're carrying into that day is going to be 75 to 90% of what you have, and that's it. The yeah. rest is going to be water and sodium and, and you manipulating things like body temperature, training, that kind of thing. So uh, I, I do think that by the time people get to that day after the show, again, they just have that, that internal mechanism of pulling everything into muscle cells, and they've had increased sodium, especially if there's somebody who have, has depleted sodium. So taking some of those lessons and seeing how far we can we can take our body the days before the show instead of the day after yes. it is really explaining all of my 20 years of work in this industry. Amazing. Yeah. That and this is um actually partly why uh Broderick, when we were consulting about my peak week, he liked kind of he often see you often see the three-day depletion and then the three-day kind of load or something along these lines he liked the longer uh, periods of time because he feels like a lot of people end up kind of kind of doing it too late so if you start a bit mm. earlier you can end up peaking on the show day and then the next day um, our hope and what happened to me was I just looked very flat. Um, I didn't, mm -hmm. however, I didn't do anything crazy that night because I wanted to be able to see and assess my physique the next day. Because if I looked better, I knew something had gone wrong. Whereas if I looked worse, then things had gone in the right direction. Um, so no, that that's really interesting to hear about the the sodium, the water, and particularly your point on the carbs on show day because I think a lot of people. I mean, they wake up and they're like, oh, I'm flat. And then they try and shuttle in all these carbohydrates. And often I feel like that's a really negative thing to be doing, partly because you're potentially making yourself very bloated from all the carbohydrates you're going to be taking in. And it's going to up, potentially upset the stomach from just consuming so many. And then you're increasing stress by doing that. Uh, and like you've mm -hmm. talked about already, once you're kind of, once that bucket's full, it doesn't just empty straight away. You can kind of keep it. Mm -hmm. And you, I mean, glycogen stays in the muscles for what is it three days um so you can actually if you wanted to kind of have that full look for a few days and you can be not risking things so for people to try and do it too late normally it's a case of they yeah they haven't peaked they haven't set themselves up properly yeah muscle glycogen good point muscle glycogen stays in the muscle cell longer 
because it's used primarily for direct action of that muscle. So it's, it's one of the last places your body would systemically get energy to, to expend. Uh, but, but again, you're in that, and that's why a lot of people during that super compensation phase don't rest. They don't want to use that muscle glycogen. But again, remember I said, post contest, you, you've, you've trained and posed so hard the day the contest. Now you're creating that homeostatic environment where everything's going inward in the muscle cell. Once you have super compensated, you've already had that experience. Now things will mostly go outward because as you're using that muscle glycogen for the next two days leading up to the show, now you're losing muscle hydration and you could end up flatter. So this is a, this is a trick that I learned and it's truly amazing if you can do it without messing up your tanning process. Mm. And that is that the morning of the show, if, if you can have a pretty aggressive workout, it, it might just be cardio, but it might be some circuit training, but you're physically sweating. Um, I mean, you're just, you're doing so many good things, Steve, in that you're, you're losing muscle glycogen. So then your breakfast, that you, you might be four, six, eight hours away from the stage, but your first meal, your body is going to absorb those nutrients better. You're going to be pulling in as much glycogen as you can. Still, remember, we can't assimilate it completely. So there is a threshold. You can't just eat anything, you, you know, a controlled amount, but more than typical. You've increased your body temperature. Mm-hmm. So now you're going to be warmer metabolically, especially if you're a, a, an endomorph. You're going to be using calories faster. So if you normally spill over a little bit after a meal, you're, you're going to spill over less. You're going to use that energy sooner. Uh, even something like sweating out, the, the subcutaneous sweat glands and so forth, a little bit of hydration. You're not only getting rid of some of that, and even though it does replenish, you've at least started yourself at the lowest level. Your skin is as thin as it can be. And then, again, you're, you're now moving things up in a controlled way to the show. So you can control water. You can increase water gradually toward the show when you need it for muscle hydration. There are so many clients that I've had that had a difficult time keeping the deepest muscle separations, you know, the upper quads, the yeah. obliques, the, 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 the finest muscle separation you can look at. And then by doing a method like this, they were able to maintain that all day long. They, wow. they were never washed out just because we started with contest morning in a way that muscle glycogen is being increased in water follows solutes. So water is going into the muscle. And then again, that increased thermogenesis and metabolic process just helps them stay tighter all day. But if you've been spending three or four days with pre-tanning solutions and products and you ruin that, then you've got that to deal with. So No, definitely. Uh, no, that sounds really interesting. Like these kind of, it sounds like a bit like a pump workout. And I know those are kind of used sometimes to help with the assimilation of nutrients and kind of partition them in the right places. But doing it the morning of it, yeah, that sounds like an actual, like a really quite good idea. And when we are talking about that circuit, is it kind of like a 10 to 15 reps on kind of just a few movements or how how intense are you going? You go into failure, are you just kind of just getting things moving and getting a sweat on is all that's required? Far, far more than just getting warm and, and pumping up a little bit. It's, it's doing, you know, certainly no more than about 30 minutes. Okay. And not, not necessarily going all the way to failure, 
but it's a it's a workout. You should be sweating hard, and it's we're a little bit of a disadvantage, you know, doing this through a podcast. But when I give lectures or workshops on peaking, and I show comparison pictures of clients, this is what they look like when they woke up. This is what they look like after doing that kind of workout. This is what they look like on the stage, and you see their body just completely changing. You you would think they were the pictures were weeks apart, wow. and yet because we're controlling that process all the way and can document and, and see it, uh, you can control it. It's, it's like you said a few minutes ago. Um, I'm, I'm at an advantage at this because I've learned a lot of this in school. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly there are people listening to your podcast who are coaches who may not have, you know, graduate degrees and so forth in physiology and they're learning all of this and you can certainly do that. And with your experience, you can, you can become good at it. But I've always found it an advantage because you know, I know what's happening in those clients' bodies from, from start to finish. Yeah. Amazing. And no, it's nothing I've, I've, I've heard of people doing kind of workouts the morning of show and things. And I mean, it almost sounds like the pump up before you do stage, but more um, and more aggressively. And then obviously you're probably eating more as well. And then that kind of sets the foundation as it were for that pump up pre-stage again for you to go onto the stage. So no, I, I mean, these little intricacies are fascinating and um, it's really good to hear from someone who has just so much experience about this. And I think we have probably talked, we've almost talked for an hour and I think we could actually talk for hours on this subject. Um, but I actually think, we've set quite a nice foundation for potentially, um, I don't know how you are for coming on for future podcasts, but I, I mean, I'd love to get you on again if you were willing to do so. Now we've, we've managed to get Skype working and everything. Um, yes. It would be great to do it again. And I don't know if the listeners had questions. I've certainly thought of some things that I think we could expand and explore a bit further. I don't know if you'd be wanting to come on again and we can have a chat about these other topics or if there's anything else you particularly want to say during this episode. No, I think that'd be fantastic. Uh, you've been very thoughtful in, in what you've been trying to extricate for your, your listeners. So I, I would love to come back, Steve. It's been, been fantastic. Awesome. No, I mean, you're not only, I can see how you can present on this because you're a really good talker and it's engaging and to hear not only kind of the science that we have been hearing, but also the experience that you've got to back it up. It's just something I think a wider audience needs to hear because I think there are lots of bad peaking strategies out there on the internet and sometimes maybe they aren't even bad. But if they're explained properly or if they've got people of the foresight and they understand all of these elements, they can be made better or they can be better understood. Um, Because I've certainly thought maybe that there are bad and good ones, whereas actually it sounds like there's just lots of different ways of doing something that is an art. Um, And I'd love, yeah, to to go further into that. But um, to make sure the listeners know how to contact you because I know that you do consultations and people can contact you for work and various things. Where's the best place to get hold of you, Joe? Yeah, if you go to our main website, which is thedietdoc.com, the you can always reach me through there. Uh, my personal email address is just dr.joe at thedietdoc.com. But absolutely, uh, we have uh, our diet doc licensing program. So we, as you mentioned earlier, we have more than a hundred 
locations around the world, even some in the UK. Uh, we also have about a dozen team Klemzeski coaches that um, have been trained by me and their clients are supervised by our uh, you know, core staff. And so uh, we have a lot of tentacles out there where we're still impacting the uh, the bodybuilding world and, and physique science, but I certainly you know love to stay involved and would very much be honored to come back on your show. Amazing. Um, no, please do reach out to Joe. Uh, as you can see, a really friendly and nice guy. Um, and I'm so glad that we've been able to do this today. And please, everyone listening, thank you for listening. Do drop your questions, whether it's on YouTube, whether you're in the, the free Facebook group where you can post questions, please get those questions across to us. We can get those covered in another show where we can talk more in depth about peaking, maybe a peaking Q&A or something along those lines be really cool um, and I'm obviously going to dial up some cool questions to ask as well and by then I might have peaked again and learned some new things about my strategy right. and um, I may well end up doing because I've got some future shows after these the if I qualify for finals for this one and then I've got I've already qualified for a finals for another one I may well just be doing the the revert the uh, metabolic building phase into those so um, it'd be definitely good to talk to you more about that at some point um so yeah thank you everyone for listening thank you joe again so much for coming on and we will catch you soon thanks steve